to Kitech. I'm Dylan Collins, CEO of Super Awesome. Today I am in Dublin and I'm with Trish Scanlon, who is CEO and founder of Soapbox Labs, and the company who is building some really interesting speech recognition kit tech. Trish, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to talk all about Soapbox and voice recognition and so many, many things. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Why? How did you come to be CEO and founder of Soapbox? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm an engineer. I'm actually an electronic engineer by training a very long time ago. Um, so I ended up working in signal processing, got interested in machine learning, started a PhD in 2000 in speech recognition, hmm. um, actually audiovisual speech recognition as well. So, um, and how we perform, you know, how you can augment performance in different various ways. But was, you know, back then it was more like a, a novelty to be doing this, right. this thing we call speech recognition and the accuracy was awful, but we were innovating all the time. Um, and during the course of my PhD, I actually ended up spending a couple of years in Columbia University in New York and IBM research in upstate New York as well, in Yorktown Heights, mm. um, all on, on speech recognition. And that's when actually, for the first time, I saw a live demo of a voice assistant for mm. the first time. It was 2004, three or four, I want to right. say. Um, and we thought it was only around the corner, you know, three years, five years. <laughs> you know, you're going to be driving in your car and you're going to get your voice assistant helping you find your way to a restaurant. And of course, 15 years later, we barely have that right. th that across platforms at the moment. Um, but I ended up working after that in Bell Labs for seven years working on a variety of the um, audio, signal processing, speech recognition, right. uh, machine learning, AI, really very cool, interesting stuff and kind of figuring out how to commercialize innovations, actually. Mm. Um, but it was in 2013. Um, I at that point spent, you know, quite a huge amount, quite a amount of my career in the area of speech recognition. But I was then observing my daughter, who was three at the time, mm. interacting with technology. And it was it was 2013, right? So after the iPads had started becoming big and everybody was downloading apps and, and, and web service and stuff. And it was kind of the, 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 the really big uh, time when people were making a lot of money out of apps and people were investing a lot into education apps. They still are, but it was mm. a very different time. Um, but what I noticed was when she was interacting with these apps and they'd be educational, like one was teaching her to read, uh, you know, they'd be doing maths apps and all these different things. When I looked at the reading ones, it was really... There was just, you know, it, it was able to teach her a sound or a word to blend or decode a word or something quite useful. But when it came to that, the whole point of an app was that it would automate the assessment and her progress. And I'd be able to get email mm. updates mm. as to how well she was doing. And I started to notice that it had no way of assessing her ability to recall or pronounce the mm. words and sounds. Because reading is all mm. audio, right? Like it's it's all about the voice. Um, you know, it's it, it, being able to express it so somebody can monitor how well you're doing, like a teacher or a parent. And I began to realize, okay, that's a massive gap because the only way she was getting through was guessing. And she was kind of like going, okay, if the answer was that last time, it must be the other one this time. And mm. she was like three or four and then gaming the system. Right. Um, and then it just kind of dawned on me, oh, God, like why speech? I spent my whole career in speech recognition. Of course, this is a key component to this. Mm. And then the kind of the idea kind of expands. Well, of course, you could use it in language learning. And, you know, a child, you know, isn't a preliterate child isn't able to use a menu system or read sure. a button. You know, reading a button is such a fundamental thing. You know, I mean, so there's such a limitation to how children can interact with technology mm. without having the complex thinking and the literacy of older children and adults. And to me, it seemed like there was a very big need 
for speech recognition as opposed to a want. Uh, and right. most people are focused on the adults. Right. But I was like, but like, yeah, it's great for adults, but this is such a thing that can open up mm. uh, technology interaction for kids in a good way. And so that then presumably led to the, the or that was the genesis for the founding of, of yeah, Soapbox yeah, in, in, in 2013, right? Yeah, 2013. Yeah. I just, I was observing my daughter just going, mm. wow, that's a gap. And I had to spend time going, why is there a gap? Right. And so why, well, I guess, why is there a gap? Why were companies not thinking about this in 2013? And and I suppose in terms of Soapbox, contextually for people listening, I mean, I don't know of, of any other companies who were building voice recognition specifically for kids is that are, are those two statements related i mean why, why is silicon valley not fix this and why haven't they fixed it in yeah it's really hard and it tends to be harder than people think right that's a, that's a really good sum- summarization so back in 2013 uh everybody was trying to get speech recognition to work right um it was the dawn of siri Siri had right. already been bought by Apple. It was on the phones. Mm. Um, but we this were, was this was pre-smart speaker. Yes. Right. Yeah, 2013. Mm. It was, we were beginning to use GPUs, which meant we could use deep learning. Mm. And for a company like me, we could use GPUs in the cloud on demand, which means you didn't need huge capital outlays. Mm. So things were changing in AI. You're beginning to see a lot of co- smaller companies being able to tackle the same problems as the bigger companies. Mm. But I had spent a lot of my career and I understood the value of data, real world data. Mm. You can't build good AI without good representative data and mm. realizing that nobody was looking at trying to solve this problem for children, um, possibly because they were too busy putting out the bigger fires of adults. And mm. they kind of always, a lot of speech recognition engineers and, and scientists sometimes, and even t- even up to today, often think we'll, so- we'll crack it for adults and then we'll do a side of kids. Like, so right. it, they think of it like another accent. Right. We'll just throw a bit of data at it and we'll fix the problem Hmm. and we'll be fine. And people have done that on repeat. And it's only really in, I suppose, a lot of these groups, these researchers are coming up for air now, Hmm. um, you know, because they've been head down trying to solve the problem for adults and doing it in 80 different languages and all this stuff. So now it's kind of like, oh, it doesn't work for kids. Right. So explain then, I I guess, what is Soapbox's product so what, what what do you sell what is used by other companies so we decided a long time that we would a long time ago back in the beginning we would just build the speech recognition we would license it right. to third parties to integrate into their apps web services uh, toys games robots whatever because it was such a big problem mm. it's taken us six years mm. you know we've over 100 years experience of speech recognition expertise in the company right just trying to crack this nut. and we you know it, it's honestly been laser focused for that amount of time and that's what's needed and I think that's where why we stand alone in our accuracy in our focus on on kids speech particularly young kids being able to crack that nut which is extreme mm. if you have a 10 year old that's very mature sounding right. and, and has a little adult trying to mimic adults you know right. Adult speech recognition will perform okay for them. Won't be great, but it'll be okay. Right. It's the younger the kid is, and, where you start seeing the problem. And and is it accurate to say that that is mostly a training data problem, or how would how would you how would you explain the problem? I guess to people who don't come from a world of of AI and machine learning. Yeah, it, it's it's twofold, right? So right. one is that children are physically very different to adults. You know, as you can imagine, they're smaller and thinner vocal tracts. Their vocal folds are smaller. Yeah. So actually their pitches and the, the form and frequencies in, this, in the speech signal right. actually reside in different parts of the spectrum, you know, mm. for a lot of... And their patterns are very different. Mm. Um, humans, just like you can 
understand a London accent when you tune into it. You can understand a child when you tune into it. But your brain actually tunes into these different, mm-hmm. different slight variations of speech. Right. Um, but on top of that, and this is the really complicating factor that most people overlook, they also speak behaviorally very different to adults. Hmm. They don't tend to follow the language rules. Right. Messes with NLP systems, mm. messes with anything that's been designed um, for adults. Right. Most of these systems have been built on adult speech, modeling adult behaviors. Mm. And when children don't comply with that, which they never do, um, a really classic thing a kid does is they think and as they're thinking, they're talking, and that right. every time you imagine these systems think they think I've finished that sentence five times over, right? right. You know, just by my right. punctuations and my elongations and my over pronunciations. So it's twofold. Mm. It's physically in the training data we we need to be able to train the systems and have a focus. It's extremely difficult difficult to um, you know to find good speech data from young kids in particular. Mm. Um, you know. Th- you can't pay them 10 euro and expect them to sit there for 30 minutes. They're not going to do that. Like, you know right. what I mean? You right. know, you could give them an M&M for about like, you know, every minute for like five minutes and then they're gone, right? But it, it's not just that. It's it's the focus on being able to, the data for the models and then the algorithms, the intellectual property we've developed on top of that, being able to understand right. the differences in the speech Um You're like, it, I, I kind of liken it to um, boiling the ocean when you're trying to do everything because you're, you have a young child. Um, if you have an adult male, the voice is deeper. Mm. An adult female is overlapping but higher. Mm. Mm. And then a teenager is overlapping but higher. And as you go younger and younger, you you would start seeing the child's speech getting more and more different. And when right. you try and solve a problem for a three-year-old and an adult, mm. it can get hard, you know. So right. while we do it for kids, we do we do perform adequately for adults as well because we know adults like to test products for kids too. Yeah. Um, but we, the, the nut we were cracking and the difficult part of this is the young kid's speech. And I mean, it seems like you, you got your your timing, um, you know, quite perfectly attuned. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, you look at sort of the explosion of smart yeah. speakers, you know, you mentioned Siri, but obviously uh, we've seen um, Google roll out their own, Apple continue to develop Siri, Amazon obviously in there, like yeah. in a lot, a lot of different ways. Yeah. Sonos now integrating all of those things. I mean, can you sort of walk us through the landscape of voice and family and all the major tech companies? Who who would you rate as, as doing it the best? And, and, and like, what are the trends that people should understand happening there? I think Google and Amazon have a uh, they've ha- they have tried to focus on kids a little bit. Mm. Um, it's it works reasonably well in very constrained uh, mm. scenarios, like you know multiple choice of three things or four things. It can work okay. Um, nobody's really gone to any effort um, mm. on the accuracy. So what we right. have is a, a lot of clients coming to us. We've tried Google. We've tried all the other mm. ones. It's not working at the accuracy needed for let's say yeah. an educational app. Or if you want to do a reading app or a link, you know. So right. for them, the so the, there's two different ways of looking at this as well. Voice assistants are a use case of speech recognition. And right. I think people kind of conflate both of them. That speech recognition is voice assistance. It's not really for me because I spent like 20 years in this area. Right. We built the speech recognition. We were thinking, oh, voice assistance is a cool application of it, but wasn't the whole point mm. of it. To me, uh, voice technology is an interface technology. I mean, we've mm. we've had to hack how you interact with machines you see all we're in a Mm. recording studio there's buttons everywhere we've had to use buttons Mm. and dials to communicate with technology to get to do what we want we progress that to keyboards and mouse and tap touch Mm. all this stuff but the natural way to 
interact is through voice, right? That's how humans interact, through gesture and voice. Mm. And, you know, you're using visual cues to me, uh, looking at me at what I'm pointing at and my expressions. So it's all of this together. It's an interface technology first Mm -hmm. voice. And then the application is voice assistance. And in the home, that's fantastic because it's got great utility. But it's to me, voice technology is a lot more than that. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's not more than a voice assistant. And I think everybody has suddenly got comfortable with the idea of speech recognition through voice assistants, which is great for us because now that's opened the market for us. It's unlocked it a little bit that yeah, yeah. when we go into meetings and we don't have to explain what speech recognition is, we go. Right, right. So, you know, your Alexa or your Google Home and your Siri and they go, oh, yeah, well, this is what we do. And then people yeah. get it. So where, so can you give examples of where else that's being used? So sort of outside of that assistant um, paradigm? In speech recognition mm, in general, mm. um, you'll see a lot more in cars now. It is mm. it's still true an right. assistant in some ways because you've got like SoundHound and you've got um, right. Alexa in some cars and Google in some cars. But what it's doing is just allowing you to interface and where I mm. see it going is that it's you know you see it in a vending machine you'll be unlocking right. your door right. with it right. you know it doesn't have to be about the assistant anymore it's about just interfacing and I think I mean very very early on I think people people saw sort of voice interaction as <clears throat> a solution looking for a problem I mean and and it feels like obviously that's sort of blown past that and, and, and people are talking about it in a lot of different ways but it to me at least it's always seemed as if this was ideally designed for kids yeah. And but it seems that sort of the major tech companies didn't quite think about that at the beginning. Mm. I mean, when you look at sort of the level of kids usage of, of voice assistants, let's say of smart speakers, I mean, it, it seems like they're all starting to take that much more seriously. W- yeah, what do you think yeah. about all that? There's there's a lot of difficulty in it. I think people always go after the adult market when they, they right. crunch the numbers, yeah, right? So yeah, that's yeah. why they yeah. did that first. Yeah. And also people are also looking at, oh, I can sell products off this. Like people do voice shopping, they'll, you know. So there was a lot of reasons the it went first to the adult. And plus the solution was there for adults, right? right? And also if you think about it, Siri started on the phone first. So kids mm. didn't have smartphones back mm. then or access to it. So even when we were, starting this and we were looking for to raise funding over the years you know we did have a lot of questions well why would a kid ever want speech recognition you know and you then go but now it's kind of it's blown up a little bit and you can think of a three-year-old interacting with a smart with a toy and asking questions Mm. and having this amazing immersive experience through gaming and vr and toys and and then an educational experience when they're learning to read and they'll get extra practice and Mm. feedback from the system or learning a language that their parent doesn't mm. speak, or a child with disability being able to use their voice to open a door or turn on a light. Like it's like you say, you would imagine to my mind, it was they needed it more than the adults did. And that's why we focused on it. I think mm. the other players just went after the volume mm. of the market, what they saw. But now for us globally, you know, it's not niche, it's 20% of the market. Like, you know, you're talking mm. about under the age of 50, you know, it's not, you know, wow. but. When you have a solution on the shelf that works for a certain demographic, that's yeah. the one you'll deploy first. And then yeah. you think, and then we'll deal with the kids later. Or, yeah, yeah. or the, you know, I mean. The, yeah. and, and what about, I mean, do you see the toy companies leaning in? Because, I mean, it's, it, it seems the future of play has, yeah. got, has got to be more voice-based, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see, we see that all the time. Like, mm. we, we, you know, we're talking to people, we're talking to leaders in the field. They have voice on the roadmap. Mm. Of course they do. What they want to make sure to do now is there's been an awful lot of privacy issues around um, and really bad press for people who just ran in too quickly without thinking yeah, yeah, and implemented um, without, you know, ensuring that they're going to have, you know, that privacy built in by design from the beginning. And now they're all just, they took a, a step back. The voice assistants came in, 
people are more used to it now. Now mm. they're going back at it, but they have to be, you know, everybody should be careful. I mean, this is children. You should be more sensitive when you're dealing right. with kids right. than you, you know. And and how, I mean, you mentioned sort of digital privacy. I mean, how do digital privacy laws like COPPA and GDPRK allow for voice interaction? And I suppose voice processing specifically, right? Yeah. So all of them um, start, COPPA was first, right? So in 2012, COPPA mm-hmm. um, added in voice and video to be included as mm-hmm. personally identifiable information. So that's when we started and we, you know, when we got advice from safe harbors in the US and when GDPR right. came in, we just rolled it over here. So anything we do when we ever interact with, we always ask for permission. Yeah, yeah. But what COPPA did about, I think two years ago was to uh, relax the law around processing, hmm. but immediate deletion. Like, right. And that's where the gray areas come in. Hmm. What does immediate mean? Hmm. What happens if so, people just... So, ju- so just to be clear, so today when, when a command goes to a device, it will typically get processed in the cloud somewhere yeah. and then send a command back. Yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah. what has happened, that what COPPA did to say was if voice was to replace typing, hmm. for instance, hmm. then you can process, respond and delete um, but what does that mean in some ways? What you say is the transcription deleted, is other information extracted from that interaction right, deleted. Right. And this is where we're facing a bit of a gray area, you know, uh, what and what's that data being used for? Hmm. Um, you know, is it being used to improve the service, um, you know, improves the speech recognition service mm-hmm. or is it more than that? Right. Is it being used to mine target ads? Yeah, and that's yeah, where yeah, the big yeah, concern yeah, yeah. starts going, what else? Is that data being sold on? Yeah. Is it being, you know, mined? Is it, you know. So and and do, do you see um, growing awareness of the issues around voice processing versus um, sort of digital privacy, I guess, more in an advertising sense. I mean, we've obviously just seen the YouTube copy fine, yeah. which is kind of very front of mind, very focused on advertising. Is is there as much awareness or is there growing awareness? You it's, think, it's voice? Yeah, mm-hmm. really. I mean, uh, COPPA, sorry, the FTC had a COPPA uh, review uh, last week. They actually had a panel and anybody could have dialed in to listen to it. And they very specifically were talking about voice tech. They were talking about mm-hmm. voice tech and education. Um, what happens? You know, what are the, should the laws be tightened? A lot of people are worried about lobbying for it to be relaxed and then what does mm. that mean to open up so you know what's really important and what we see happening in the market is you companies can do whatever they want but we see people companies coming to us and they're concerned about their brand and they don't want yeah. to be associated yeah, yeah, with yeah. any potential um, issues around data privacy around their children's data so they come to us we're an independent company with mm-hmm, privacy mm-hmm, by design mm-hmm. we have no business model other than our speech recognition. So right. we only use it to improve the service and that gives them peace of mind that they're not going to worry about what happens to that data later. Do you see speech recognition with kids and the interaction of AI with kids being sort of like a proxy for one another, another or at least being very, very adjacent in the future? I mean, because voice is obviously sort of a way for parents to very loosely understand. Yeah. Right, sort of some sort yeah. of artificial intelligence yeah, with their it, kids. It, it, how, do you, how do you think it, that it, no, plays it is, out? No, it's, it's, it's a good first step for people because it's very, you know, people can understand my voice is, they, you know, I think what people, where AI goes further is in what other information has been extracted. Right, right. Your, your identity, mm. your voice print, right? Mm. What else? Your emotion, your, mm. you, you know, you know what you're saying. Is that personally identifiable? So I think it is extremely useful and I think... I mean, you know, education is a good example of it. it's it's one of the last big sectors to be digitized. Mm. So I like the fact that everybody's doing it more thoughtfully now, like that they're, mm. you know, we're having that conversation. Mm. And if you don't want to lose confidence in people, you want to build good tech, but you want to do it so that people trust it. Mm. 
And transparency is where I yeah. honestly yeah, feel yeah. like, you know, let's just say what's happening to the data mm-hmm. in very clear ways and not have it in deep links that you have to click 10 different documents to find out what actually happens to your yeah, to your yeah. data because very few people are going to do that and that's not right. It's not fair. And, and what do you think is the emerging impact of voice interfaces on kids' screen time? I mean, is that becoming an either or situation or is it with I mean I know it's very early I'm just kind of curious what conversations you're seeing yeah you can definitely see it that you know we're you know we have a you know our technology is now being used in by MIT Media Lab and the personal robotics group and I think that's a really cool example of where you can actually have a conversation and an engagement without a screen which is kind of cool you know you can actually have you can um you know, inter- for a child, it's lovely because they can actually interact with a character. Mm. You know, and the mm. character can be a teddy, it can be a, a robot, it can be, you know, um, you know, a Barbie, it can be whatever, and have an interaction that's engaging. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and it can fire the imagination. It can be educational. It doesn't, it can be an educational conversation, like, you know, but but all of a sudden the little character is talking back and hearing me. Like, yeah. you know, it, it, it creates something different and yeah, p- potentially bring you away from screens. But I kind of think the future is, is multi modal though mm. there will be um that you will use uh image recognition you will use object recognition you will use you know uh let's say face recognition like you know you you woke up to the toy and it knows who you are or mm-hmm. the app or whatever i think you know and it makes that engagement more uh, immersive and more real and more mm. you know and more useful that you know the expression of a child when you're doing social social emotional um, right. education you know you, you can do, bring do, all that into it do you think about when you're considering the responses that are given back to a child do you think about the perceived maturity level of those responses because yeah. one of the things I've, I remember I've talked to a bunch of of um, toy company CEOs and CTOs about is that you know, the future labels that appear on toys will say something like the AI in this toy is, is operates at a six to nine oh, year old yeah, level. Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm curious. Yes, I mean, is, is that is that hugely? I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me, because when you if you listen to a three, four or five year old, yeah. they sound really different to a six, seven, eight. year old, right, right? right. So absolutely. And so by just listening to the voice, you can you're not going to accurately pinpoint it because some kids sound older or younger mm. than others. But you can definitely get in a ballpark of of, of a two, three year age mm. range um, by just listening to their voice and mm. then responding appropriately, right. responding in an age appropriate way. And that's one thing that we were concerned with as well, is that when you're building these voice assistants, you're putting them in the home. They're no longer behind a password. Yeah. yeah. Then all of a sudden, a child, my, my daughter used and um, misinterpreted and thought she said, um, uh, you know, a rude word. Right. And she was shocked because she hadn't said the rude word, but it, it hadn't performed very good speech recognition and responded in an inappropriate way to a right. child. Right, right, right. But it also allowing a child to access purchasing, you know, through, mm. through a voice command. It's, it's kind of mad. I think we've kind of rushed into putting these into the homes, mm. into your car where kids are. I mean, you if you have kids, you know damn well if you're using a voice technology, there's no way the kid behind you isn't going to use it right, right, like, you know. right, right, right so they are going to do it so we've rushed in putting them in place without actually really considering the implications of an inappropriate response mm. of allowing them access to open search on the internet yeah, you know yeah. so you can say we put in some people are saying that put they have age appropriate gates mm. but if the system will always respond to a child and not say 
that is a child's mm, voice. Mm. I should root the response yeah. through this thing. That's where it needs to go. And I, I'm really disappointed. We're still, we're still not there because the technology, it's possible. Mm. It's technically possible. So, so, I mean, do we need more regulation around this or more frameworks around this? I'm always cautious when I, when yeah, I, when I suggest it's a that tough question. One. I, I, I'm kind of frustrated. I don't see why big tech aren't doing it mm. themselves because, you know, Responding inappropriately to a child isn't going to behoove anybody's business mm. model. Like, you know, mm. it's not going to get you anywhere. And it's not, it's, 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 it will take more effort. You mm. know, than when we're, we've already built a technology that solves these problems. Right, right. Um, and I think people, kids and families will have a better experience if you build an age appropriate and safe. So if you right. build trust, age appropriateness, and you have the accuracy for the children, mm. you know, you, everybody in the, in the family will have a better experience. And the brand, you're reflected good on the brand. Mm to build that trust and, 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 and enjoyable experience for everybody. I don't mm. think that's a, that's a, that's a huge leap. I, I, I want to sort of uh, kind of wrap this up by talking a little bit or asking a little bit about the future. I mean, you sort of talked about, you know, your views on, on everything being kind of fairly multimodal mm. for, for the foreseeable. But I mean, how does that family voice structure evolve over time? I mean, presumably this only works well when you've got a, a single voice platform that a family is using, right? Yes. So th does that mean that, particularly when you think about sort of the big tech codes, yeah. there, there has to be one winner per home is it for, from a voice perspective specifically? Is that, or, or is it just, is it going to be more complicated than that? Yeah, I mean, that does mean that if you go from your home to your car to your office, do you have right. the same platform and that involves you buying into the ecosystem? Yeah. Actually, that's where the war is. That's why they all yeah. care about right. winning the home because mm. they feel like if you're mm. winning the home and you're all in on Alexa mm. you're all in on Siri you're all in on on Google Home then they get you buying your your you know your Chromebooks or mm -hmm. they get be buying you know mm -hmm. so it makes sense everybody is trying to play that game something you mentioned earlier that like some of the the smart speaker assistants are trying to open that up a little more to say that they'll accept all voice assistants mm. but you know so when everybody wonders why some of these products, these smart speakers are loss leading, you know, yeah, right, there's right. a bigger game at play here. Like, mm. you know, so, um, yeah, I mean, it, you will have a better experience if you're all in on, on, on one device on in your home one. game. Of course you will. Like, and you know. and do, do you think like in terms of general digital interaction, do you think that ends up bifurcating between touch or, or visual and voice or does again that store sort of stay very fragmented and a complete mishmash I think they all have to go multimodal and I, th yeah. I think touch and screens is actually part of it's one of those modes right so mm. if you think about I always go back to what human interaction is right and human interaction involves touching pointing mm. like you know at, when you and I interact and we're trying to go through a spreadsheet I'll point at something I'll touch something we'll move through different things we we we'll see the visual impact we'll mm. see the emotion the reaction the gesturing um i think all of them will have to go there to get the real immersive human interactions mm. and if you're going to stay voice only human interaction is supposedly um and arguably it's in around this it depends on the research you read is seven percent verbal hmm. a huge amount of its expression mm. so that can be taken out of the voice as well but mm. a lot of it is gesturing and nodding and mm. pointing and eye gaze and mm. all that so if you want to improve your your human 
computer interactions. Mm. I don't see how you do it without uh, image if you want to start replicating a human experience. Interesting. So you think that that sort of gesture tech is somewhere? We're go- yeah, we yeah, go. Yeah. And it doesn't. The f- weird thing is, it doesn't have to be video, right? It can be infrared. Yeah, like it can yeah, be. Yeah, you know, yeah. it can be data points. It can be. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's a lot of ways to protect people's comfort zone. You can process it all. Process it on device. Yeah. No data needs to leave the device in order to have human computer interaction. Yeah. And I think everybody's. We're all so uh, conditioned to think everything has to go to the cloud mm. that that's actually not true. The only reason we've gone to the cloud is because the processing capabilities for deep learning and really multimodal, all this tech, mm-hmm. it wasn't possible to do on device until without burning your battery, right? Like, right. you know, in an hour or without mm-hmm. having to cost $500 for the device. That's changing rapidly. So in that change, if you can start doing that processing on device, you change things. And I think you'll actually introduce more data privacy by keeping a lot of that processing on device and maybe you go to the cloud to get your sports results maybe you go to the cloud to to send your homework to your teacher whatever or get your updated content but you don't need all that processing flowing up and down the cloud you know i think sort of the 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 concept of um sort of local versus cloud processing is is actually something we should have a separate episode on okay it's it's come up more and more yeah no (laughs) No, it is it's huge it's huge it's massive um but this was such an interesting walk through and what is going on in um voice kid tech at the moment um trish scanlon ceo and founder of soapbox soapbox labs thank you so much for joining us thank um, you Dylan. Thanks today for having me. on kid tech uh this was super yeah cheers